At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Something that most folks enjoy about fly fishing is solitude. Well, solitude and catching fish. And while catching fish isn't always guaranteed, there are times and situations where you can almost guarantee solitude. Now, this might sound like a real stretch, especially if you fish or live near a place that gets lots of angler traffic. So if it is a very, very popular trout stream, if it is a stretch of river that has easy access, or if your preferred type of fishing is like salmon or steelhead runs, where especially in the Midwest and the Northeast, people cram into small stretches of water because there's lots of fish there. In those situations, it's hard to imagine a time where you're able to get on the water and not be covered in people. Now, that might not bother you, but I know it bothers a lot of people. In fact, in my neurotic fishing brain, that immediately takes something away from the situation. I have to have a fish on in order to kind of block out how many people are upstream from me and downstream of me. Something I'm working on, just you know, being appreciative of being in the moment and fishing and dealing with what's in front of me, but truth be told, it is kind of antithetical in my mind to what fly fishing is supposed to be. Doesn't mean I don't want to be around people. Doesn't mean I'm totally antisocial. Maybe I'm a little antisocial. But all that to say, there are some times where even in those situations, the popular streams, the salmon and steelhead runs, the, the really busy times of the year where you can have some peace and quiet and be by yourself. And that's when it's raining. Now, hear me out. Because there's a popular misconception that raining and fishing are antithetical. But the reality is, is that you're already probably pretty wet if you're waiting. If you're standing out in the river and you have your fancy waders on, you're not going to get any wetter from the waist down. Let's be clear about that. Moreover, most of us have pretty good rain jackets. Jackets that you can cinch tight around your sleeves down by your wrists. Jackets that you can zip up underneath your chin with hoods. You wear a hat, you dress warmly, and whether it be in the heat of the summer or in the spring or the fall, then getting wet really isn't going to be a huge problem. You can also take what we're going to talk about today in the podcast and apply it to the snow, but I think people actually like going fishing in the snow. There's something uh, romantic and pretty and um, enjoyable about that and, and wild. I think it's it's a lot of fun to fly fish in the snow. But rain, for some reason, there's this, again, there's this general misconception 
that raining and fishing don't mix. But remember, what are the fish doing? They're in the water already. So what I want to talk about today is ways to think about fly fishing in the rain and how it might be a opportunity for you to get into water that you wouldn't normally get into and kind of have it to yourself and also look at some strategies and ways to think about fishing. So first and foremost, I think that when you're fishing in the rain, you're fishing to fish that have a little bit more confidence in themselves. Now, I'm using a little bit of anthropomorphism when talking about fish. I don't think that fish have confidence in the way that we have confidence, but what happens when it rains? Even in a light rain, you look at the water, and this might be one of the things that immediately turns you off to fly fishing in the rain. The surface of the water is really broken. And a lot of our confidence as anglers, for many of us, myself included, our confidence in fishing, especially fishing nymphs and dries and even smaller streamers, is being able to see what's happening. We rely on our eyesight so much that we neglect to realize that our sense of touch and even our kind of our intuition as anglers plays an enormous part in finding fish and sensing strikes and actually setting the hook on a fish. So having that water surface being disturbed, whether it be by a gentle drizzle or a downpour, really messes with our heads. It really has the potential to. This might not be something that bothers you, but I know that has bothered me at times, and the other folks I've talked to also don't like fishing because the surface of the water becomes obscured. But that's a two-way street. It's obscured for you, and it's also obscured for fish. Now, I've talked about what fish see and what fish don't see and how I think sometimes that's a little bit overblown. And as long as you're not presenting a huge silhouette or shadow, you're probably okay. I don't buy into the fact that a fish's visual acuity is similar to a mammal's. It's just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't um, reflect a fish's life situation and circumstance that they're looking and watching in the same way that we are. And if they're seeing things, they're not processing them in the same way we are, obviously. So all that to say, you have a disturbed water surface. You're able to get closer to fish. The the refraction of what the fish is seeing is limited. And even if they are seeing you, you are obscured. So you're able to get closer to the fish. So that doesn't hurt especially if you're doing something like tight line nymphing, a strategy that might be more beneficial if you are fishing really broken water and you're unable to track an indicator dry fly or a strike indicator, then being able to be closer to the fish can really be helpful. And similarly, I think there's a awareness of the relative safety of bad weather. A lot of predators aren't going to be out in as much as anglers as predators aren't going to be out chasing fish, a lot of other things aren't going to be out. You see birds and you see mammals hunting and chasing fish in the rain, but it's not the same sort of frequency that you see those sort of animals in those behaviors in nice weather. And for all fish are, whether they be just biological synapses firing given to certain variables that they find themselves in, they are aware of that. I don't want to say they know that because, again, 
they're fish, but they're aware of that. So you can get closer, you might even be able to be a little sloppier in your presentation, and the fish are probably still going to be willing to play ball. So the fish have a lot more confidence, I find, in that water. And also, I've noticed that fish that, that I have observed that are more active nocturnally, bigger brown trout, bigger brook trout, so fish that are kind of in that carnivorous um, or piscivorous chasing fish bent, they will actually become active when there is a rain event. So I don't know if that has to do with the, again, the surface of the water being obscured or the inherent darkness of the cloud cover of rain, but I have seen fish that usually only are active early morning and late evening become active in the middle of the day because that switch gets flipped, or I presume that switch gets flipped in the little fish brain that says, oh, it's dark, it's safe, this is when I come out. So you might have access to fish you wouldn't otherwise have access to when it's raining. The next thing kind of has to do with the weather, well, actually has everything to do with the weather, is the barometer. With the storm coming in, whether it be a small storm or a big storm, something is happening to the barometric pressure. Usually as it drops, and we are very susceptible to feeling those changes. We feel it in our sinuses, we feel it in our knees, all those things. But aquatic animals can really feel that. And whether it be a drop or an increase in barometric pressure, that might turn fish on. Um, if it's a really high pressure morning, having that drop in barometric pressure might get fish moving and get fish feeding. So you might have had a couple of really rough days of fishing, and those fish, even if they were seeing lots of flies and seeing lots of anglers, had lockjaw because the pressure was high. As soon as that storm hits, the barometric pressure drops, those fish are going to key in. That's something that the uh, bass anglers really have a, a really good grip on. Um, there's a whole realm of science and observation that bass anglers, largemouth bass anglers, big shiny boats, those guys, all that stuff that sometimes fly anglers deride, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones, look at what they're doing to really pay attention to the best time to get into fish. And along with lunar phases and all that sort of stuff, barometric pressure is one of the things that they talk about a whole lot more than fly fishers talk about. That's not to say that fly fishermen and women don't look at those things. I just feel like the bass guys really pay attention to it because they want to maximize their opportunity in front of fish that are willing to feed. So that's kind of from the fish's end. Now from your end, what do you do? Well, you can change up your gear a little bit. Shorten up your leader. You know, especially if you are struggling with a long leader, whether it be for casting or for having a good presentation, that limited visibility and inevitably stuff getting knocked in the water from the rain, you're going to have a lot more going on. So you're probably going to be able to get away with a shorter and a thicker leader. So you might be able to control your fly a lot more. You have a tighter connection to the hook and exactly where your fly is. So whereas in a perfectly calm situation, you might be fishing a nymph rig on 12 feet of leader, you might cut that back down to eight or nine. And so although there's a lot going on, you've lost your eyes because of the rain and what it's doing to the surface of the water. You have a closer connection to the flies. Now, that doesn't say that it doesn't matter as much anymore, but especially if you're fishing up higher in the water column, I've found that that broken surface tension of everything going on with the raindrops and the debris that's in the water, I feel like I can get away with a lot thicker leader and even a shorter leader when it's raining out. 
Secondly, finesse kind of goes out the window when the water's all chopped up. You're not going to be fishing the midges in the 20 plus sizes. This is where you want to go to a fly that is, if not subsurface, that's on the surface that's bigger. Fish will still rise in the rain. They don't do it as readily. And again, there's outliers in any situation where the rain might trigger fish going to the surface because they're chasing terrestrial insects that are being knocked off of leaves and knocked off of streamside vegetation, or because there's other animals that are being forced to flee. I know a lot of guys that prefer to mouse when there's a little bit of drizzle to be able to have a mouse or some sort of mammal or frog that is out in the water they feel like they can get away with that really sloppy uh, brash presentation and the fish respond well to it. And again, as I said earlier, you might have some of those carnivorous fish, which you otherwise would have to be chasing in the middle of the night with mice and with frogs and things like that. You're now able to throw that in the middle of the day and they're ready and willing to play ball because of the cloud cover and everything that comes with the rain. So switching over to a bigger fly gives you a chance to fish water that you might not normally fish with a bigger fly, whether it be a bigger dry or a streamer, and you'll be able to present that to the fish in a way that they might respond very favorably to. Additionally, as I led with, there's not going to be as many people on the water. So that means that fish that are normally used to a lot of pressure might not be getting the same sort of angler presence that they would otherwise. Think about a popular trout stream on a Saturday in June, July, or August, assuming the weather's not too warm. There's going to be people everywhere. Now, imagine it's been raining for a couple of days, just on and off, not enough to make the water so high and muddy to really blow things out and make it unsafe to be on the water. But they haven't had that sort of pressure that they're used to. And not to say that fish are waiting for the best fly presentation, but I know from my fly fishing experience and from reading people who are much more well-rounded in fishing and understanding trout behavior that pressure puts fish down so to be in front of fish on a day that would normally be very very busy and maybe the day after a day that normally be very busy and being able to present something to them that's going to increase your odds of catching the fish It might actually be a time when you know it's going to rain to say, you know what, I am going to fish that day because it is raining. You're not fishing in spite of the rain. You're actually using the rain to your advantage. So you're saying, I might get access to fish I wouldn't normally get access to, or I might be able to get into spots to cast that normally would put fish down in the pool because they're going to get spooked by seeing me or I'm going to create ripples or waves. And if you're fishing the same stream enough, you're going to come into contact with fish and spots that you know that you just can't cast to because getting into the prime condition for casting is going to spook the fish or put the pool down. But when the weather hits, you might have an opportunity to get in front of them. So it's something that you can even plan for. Now, that being said, you also want to be smart. Rain is good, storms are bad. As soon as you have even the slightest inclination of thunder or lightning, get off the stream. It's not worth it. Get in your car and wait it out. If you're really far from your car, find some place that's low and away from big trees and just hang out um, under a bridge or something like that and keep that fly rod on the ground, not sticking up. 
This is common sense stuff, but there's a reason why you know you see uh, these what to do in a thunderstorm articles and every field and stream and every outdoor life because people unfortunately don't do the right thing. And if you've ever seen a picture of a graphite rod that's been hit by lightning, and if you have any questions as to why you shouldn't be holding your nine foot fly rod in a lightning storm, then a picture like this will certainly convince you that that's not the smartest thing. But otherwise, just prepare. Dress properly. A pair of waders, a good wading rain jacket, something that can seal up at your cuffs of your sleeves and can go cinch around your face a little bit. Wear a baseball cap to keep the rain out of your eyes and face so you can still wear your polarized glasses, so more for wading safely and for eye protection really than anything when the water is so chunked up. But get out there and do it. It's a little bit of water. And again, everyone has their, their thresholds. You might only be able to tolerate a drizzle. You might just not like being wet, and I get that. Or you might just enjoy being in that torrential rain because you realize that, you know what, fish are eating. If a fish is down deep, having a rainstorm or a bluebird sky, it's not going to change their feeding behavior too much if they're sticking down deep because they're waiting for a big chunky sculpin to swim by so you can go out there and cast and have that stream to yourself have that hold to yourself even though it's a torrential downpour but prepare wear the right clothes protect the things that need to be protected most fly fishing gear is pretty impervious when it comes to water but if all of your stuff gets wet you do need to dry it out especially your fly boxes Waterproof packs are good the problem is and this is such common sense if they're waterproof that means that if water gets inside of them, it stays inside of them. So realistically, it's almost a 50-50 proposition. A lot of the sling packs that I use are not waterproof. They're very water resistant. But what that means is that as I'm walking back or if I'm under trees, the things are going to start drying out on their own. If you do have a waterproof pack, you are going to take everything out, lay it out so it can dry and your pack can dry so you don't have a nasty mildewy pack and rusty hooks and all of the paper on all of your tippet spools you know wrinkles up and falls off but that's just something else to think of and then again take that extra care with your terminal tackle your reel and your rod if it gets really wet let it dry before you put it into its case um, that will protect it especially if you have metal ferrules from bamboo i'm still actually sitting on a bamboo fly rod that needs to be pulled apart because I put it away after fishing in the rain and I didn't get back to it fast enough and it's all seized up. But anyway, aside from little silly situations like that, fishing in the rain gives you opportunities to fish for fish and fish in places that you might not otherwise be able to fish either at all in general or specifically on times that are more convenient for you. Weekends, holidays, things like that. So get out, fish in the rain, catch some fish. This week on Casting Across, I had, again, as usual, two articles. The first one on Monday was called Rusty Flybox, You Rolling River. I was down in Virginia. I was at the foot of the Shenandoah Mountains. And so both between the fact that I was on vacation and because I'm looking at some of my favorite places to fish for smallmouth bass and brook trout in the entire world, I decided to share three posts about fishing in the Shenandoah, brook trout and smallmouth bass. Then on Wednesday, an article called Fishing Barefoot, like John Boy, in which I talk about my love of the Waltons and what it can teach you about your fly fishing experience.
This week's recommendation is a waiting belt. If you're not wearing a waiting belt, you're not waiting safely. I have fallen in before and never been in a situation of severe peril, but I've always been wearing a waiting belt, so I'm not sure if maybe that was the thing that kept me out of peril. Falling into a river facing upstream, uh, a lot of water is going to fill up your waders very quickly, and no matter how good of a swimmer you are, that's incredibly cumbersome, and usually you're not thinking about falling when you fall in, so between the uh, waders laden with water and being caught off guard it's just not a good situation but having a wading belt that can be cinched tightly this is key cinched tightly is going to significantly limit how much water gets from your really upper waist kind of lower chest down to your legs and not only traps water or excuse me traps air in your legs allowing you to stay more buoyant but it keeps water from getting your legs and causing any sort of damage and drawing you down now, virtually every pair of waders comes with a waiting belt, but there's this bizarre trend I've seen, and not all waiting manufacturers do this, but I've seen a lot of stretchy waiting belts. This makes sense. It's comfortable, right? As you move and things like that, the waiting belt moves with you. The problem is if someone puts something heavy on their waiting belt, like a waiting staff, not super heavy, but a little bit of weight, a water bottle, bear spray, something like that, what it does is it pulls your waiting belt away from your body a little bit. So when you fall in, you're not going to have that same sort of protection that seals not there. A waiting belt that I use is from Vitavu. Again, American made gear, made in Massachusetts. And the Ringer waiting belt is made essentially of seat belt material um, with a big stainless steel ring that kind of goes where your holster would go. Um, so it's a big buckle that you use to attach the thing solid adjustment it's not going to slip on you and a big d-ring so you can clip your nippers or pliers or whatever and it's not going to stretch and fall away from your body even if you move or you're floundering in the water so the vitavu ringer waiting belt i'll put a link in the show notes of this page thanks for listening to the casting across fly fishing podcast Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.